Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Exurgat Deus dissipentur inimici eius, et fugiancio derenteum afaci eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let all those who hate him flee from before his face. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias, diabolias opraecidium. Imperatili Deus, supplicas deprecamur, duque princeps militae caelestis, satana maliosque spiritus malignos, que ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum netrude. Amen. Coriesu Sacratissimum Miserere Nobis, Mater Dolorosa, Ora Pro Nobis. La Virgen de Guadalupe, Ora Pro Nobis. Domine ostende facem tuum et salvierimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immagolata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. My last podcast was titled The End of the Twentieth Century. And I'm sure it struck at least a few people as kind of odd that I would look at what's happening in these events today, these things that are leading up to the fall of mankind as the end of the 20th century. But when you take a closer look at what seems to be the time clock of God, and I say seems to be, clearly it's not necessarily fact. It looks like our calendar is about 30 years off. Surely, we do, we, we mark our time period as from the beginning at, at uh, you know, this calendar, of course, <clears throat> if we were to still refer to it properly, it would be the 2022nd year of our Lord. And it marks the year of Christ's birth. But it always seemed kind of odd to me that we mark the year of our Lord from his birth. And yet we celebrate 
for the most part, the day of a birth into heaven, which is typically the day of a saint's death. <clears throat> so, you know, the Feast of St. Martin, uh, the Feast of St. Justin Martyr, like all, all of the saints' days are typically the day of their death. And with a few exceptions, there's a few people who they moved, they shifted the date. And I don't know the precise reasons for some, for some of them, but the day that they died is not necessarily the day that their, that their feast day is. Um, <clears throat> but for the most part, throughout church history, we don't celebrate the saint's birthday. We celebrate the day they died. And so it would seem more appropriate that the year of our Lord would actually be from the day he, from the day he was from the day he died or the day he he rose up from the grave. Either of those two days would seem plausible, and we would set the calendar there. So what we understand is thirty three Anno Domini should actually be zero. And that would put this year as 1989, <clears throat> which seems reasonable. Mostly, it seems reasonable to me because the actual start of the 16th century or the year 1500, would be closer to the day, or closer to the year that the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to Juan Diego. Juan Diego received an apparition, was visited by the Blessed Virgin Mary in 1531. Shortly after, a replica of the tilma, a copy of the image of Our Lady as she appeared to Juan Diego, would be used as the battle standard for Don John of Austria at the Battle of Lepanto. A couple hundred years later, 1917, the Blessed Virgin Mary appears to Sister Lucia and then tells her, I will come to ask for the consecration. She says she will come to ask. She, she foretells that she's going to come back and say, hey, I'll be back to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart, which she does in 1929. And then in 1931, our Lord appears to Sister Lucia and then makes the proclamation given that the Pope has chosen the path of the kings of France <clears throat> given that the Pope has chosen the path of the kings of France why is this important? because in 1689 our Lord would ask 
that the Sacred Heart be emblazoned on the French flag. Our Lord asked that the King of France consecrate publicly France to his Sacred Heart. And the kings would fail to do so, and they would fail to do so for 100 years. And 100 years later, the French Revolution would break out, and four years later, to the day, the king would be beheaded. Now, you could say, well, you could just as easily put it in 89. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. But if you were to go back 33 years, instead of it being 1689, it would make a little bit more sense if it was 1650. 1655, 56, somewhere in there. Because the start of the 20th century, like we, <clears throat> the Industrial Revolution started in the 1800s, like 1880s, basically right, yeah, right around the 1880s would be the start of the Industrial Revolution. Okay. But we wouldn't re reach our pinnacle. I mean, we were suffering, to be sure, through the Depression in 1930. But when we would finally rise out of the depression, we would become the super, we would become one of the two superpowers. But the period of the depression, the 1930s, would begin the end, the final death throes of Christendom. What do we mean? Well, it was the 1920s and 30s, particularly the 30s, where Spain would go through their revolution where the Republicans, also called the Spanish Communists, would try to overthrow the Spanish crown, which was defended by Francisco Franco, the fascist. Kind of makes you wonder about fascism. Maybe it's not so bad. In the 1930s, Hitler would rise up. Certainly seems to be a dawn. I mean, they would try. He, he would try his thing in the 1920s, but he wouldn't really start to rise back to power until the 1930s, 1931, 32, 33. In that same period, that same sort of three-year period, 30 years after the beginning of what the world marks as the 20th century. Now, I'm not saying we need to move the calendars, but maybe from a spiritual standpoint, we can understand that the 20th century is actually now coming to a close. And if you look at the period of the 20th century, it stands to reason. Because the 20th century was sh certainly an American century. It was, the, it was the century of the Republic of the United States of America. Or I should say, a century of the perceived Republic of the, United, of the United States of America. Because conveniently, in the few years before the 20th century really gets rolling for the United States, 
two things are put into place that end the Republic. They were the death knell of Republicanism, of what an, what an actual Republic is supposed to look like. And those two, th that multi-tiered with its checks and balances system was eliminated, it was exterminated just prior to when the 20th century would really get rolling in the United States. What were those two things? Well, one of them was the income tax. The other one was the amendment that would cause senators to no longer be appointed by the state governments and instead would have them be elected like the representatives by the people. In the name of democracy, I'm sure. I don't even have to go back and look. I know that's what they were talking about. It's in the name of democracy. <clears throat> and that was actually the death of the Republic. It would take some time. In the, same, in the same way that it takes a little bit of time for a wound to become infected and become gangrenous and thereby become potentially fatal to the rest of the body, that's the same thing that the income tax and the, the 16th and 17th amendments, the income tax and the, cha and the reformatting of how senators are, are appointed, it's the same thing. See, we fail to understand, and I'm going to take a moment to step aside here because I really want people to understand what the income tax actually means. I've said it before, but I really want to focus on this for just a moment. An income tax is a tax on labor. It is a tax on effort. Okay? When the income tax is set at, say, 5%, well, let's, let's just go with 10%, okay? Which is, 10%, I think, would be reasonably permissible. And if it was everybody, 10%, then, it, again, it would be reasonably permissible. Because it would be a little more than a tithe. You take your first fruits, etc. However, <clears throat> what makes it evil is the fact that it is your first fruits because this is taxed before the state lays its claim on this money before you lay your claim on this money. Thereby, the state becomes God. However, 10% is largely acceptable. As, as, a, as a number, if you're going to impose a tax, it is, that is an acceptable number. Okay? So I don't really want to get caught up too much in what the levels are because this isn't actually about the level. Taxes should be set right around 10%. That is, an, that is within the realm of the natural order. The fact that it is, it is an income tax, the fact that it is taken from your paycheck prior to you receiving your paycheck, that is the abomination. Because it means that everyone who works in American society pays their first fruits not to God, but to Caesar.
And it is that fact that makes the American income tax, the, the American tax code, the most evil tax code in world history. Because now the state cuts in line in front of God. The tax is just. That there are taxes and that they not be too onerous is still within the natural order. But the income tax, in particular, the way it is taken care of today, is an abomination. It is an insult to God. It is blasphemy. The second piece is what makes a republic a republic. There is a joke that the Holy Roman Empire was not holy, not Roman, and not an empire. And two of those things are outside the purview. But the third one is, is an apt thing to pay attention to. Because the Holy Roman Empire was not an empire in the conventional sense. Yes, there was an emperor. There was one who ruled the whole thing. But the Holy Roman Empire was actually a republic of kingdoms. Because the emperor was chosen from among the kings to lead the empire. And this becomes most obvious when Charles V, the Holy Roman Empire, Emperor Charles V, who was Charles I of Spain, I think I may have that backwards. In fact, I do have that backwards. It's Charles V of Spain, who was, who was Emperor Charles I, was chosen by the, by the, by the kings of Germany, of Germania. More accurate to say Germania because it wasn't just Germany. You say Germany today and it, it stops, but it actually stretched, um, if, I remember, if I remember the borders correctly, it actually stretched all the way up to Latvia. <clears throat> all the way up to Latvia and kind of extended out all the way to France. Because it would also include Austria-Hungary. Like, the whole big, like, there's a whole big portion. The, whole, the Holy Roman Empire was Roman in that it was Roman in its identity. Even though they were, even though they were Germanic peoples, they were Roman Catholic. So they're Roman in their identity. However, when we think of an empire, for some reason, we only ever think of an empire in terms of one dude rules the whole thing and he's a despot over the whole thing, which is not true. The Holy Roman Empire actually lasted longer than the Roman Empire and even the Roman Empire was predominantly ruled locally. It was the local governors. Now, yes, did everybody want to ascend to Rome to be the emperor? Of course. They, you know, you want the prefects and the prelates, they all wanted to rise up to the top, but once you rose up to the top, you weren't actually you weren't really actually part of your local community anymore. Except as a symbol. I remember a book being touted about 10, 15 years ago uh, by Glenn Beck. And this is one of the obvious, this is one of the obvious problems with Protestantism because Protestantism neglects to realize the way things actually are and imposes their own opinion as reality. 
It's the nature of Protestantism. It's the reason it's it's the number one reason why everyone should actually have a problem with being a Protestant. Because Protestants looked at the Holy Roman Empire as a monolith, and it was anything but. The Holy Roman Empire was actually a republic. It was it was an empire of republic of republics. The Prussians, the Bavarians, so on and so forth. Split split all the way down to the local kingdoms. And the kings chose the emperor. At the same time, while this is actually going on, you had the Republic of Florence, the Republic of Venice, the Republic of Milan. You had the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, which had fallen under the control of Spain. And you had the Papal States. But Northern Italy was Republic. It was all Republics. All of those individual Italian states, all of those provinces in Italy, those were each independent Republics prior to the Communist Revolution that unified them under one flag. Chilling when you think about it. And they wanted to do the same thing to Spain. Spain, which had not been one united kingdom, which was weird because they had kings that were kings of Castile and Leon, that were kings of the two Sicilies. And very often they were the same person. However, the national identity of Spain was never a thing. You were the king of Castile, you were the king of Leon. the Duke of Valencia, so on and so forth, all, all the way down the line. You can, spread, you can spread it all the way across. The fact is, the fact is, is even when the King of Spain was the King of Spain, in reality, the fact was, is the King of Spain was the King of Leon and the King of Castile, the King of the Two Sicilies, the King of Malta, the King of New Spain, And all of those were recognized as individual national identities. In fact, Spain didn't really start having a lot of the problems that it start that it has now in the Basque provinces until Spain became one country and the Basque had their national had their own national identity erased. Important, very important to note, because we here in America like to believe that the concept of a republic was some 5,000 year leap where it was this magnificent leap in governance. It was only a magnificent leap in governance because the people who wrote the documents establishing this republic were British. They were not European. The British disliked the Spanish, disliked the French, disliked the Italians, disliked the Germans. They disliked everything that was Catholic. 
from Henry VIII on. They cut themselves off from the natural reality. Had they not, no one would consider America this 5,000 year leap. It would simply be a reboot of a tried and true practice that would have only been slightly expanded. We took it to the next step. And that's, in reality, that's what happened. America was simply the next step. What happens if we decide this? And we do this, and this is how we form, formulate our society from the top down, or from the bottom up, however you want to look at it. Had they had any sense in their head to look around, they would have known this wasn't some grand experiment. This was, hey, we're just going to try this new thing over here. And it's not even a big new thing. It was already in practice. From 500 AD, 534, if I remember correctly, until 1776, it was the standard practice across all of Europe, including England, until 200 years prior. Had the British understood their history, they would have known that it was the standard practice until Britain broke away and did something different. And that they were not establishing something new, they were actually re-establishing, with a few minor enhancements, or tweaks, really, because they turned out to not be enhancements at all, but they were simply re-establishing that which was already done for a thousand years. And it would not have been quite so... Well, it wouldn't have been anything. Were it not for the apostasy of Henry VIII, New England would be New England. Florida would be part of New Spain. New France would still be a thing. But step by step, everybody was getting sold on all of these grand new ideas. <clears throat> and the birth of the British Empire, at its core, was simply a... At its core, it was two things. It was national pride and hatred of all things Catholic. And it was that hatred of all things Catholic that carried us along the path that we have now ca carried perfectly over the actuality of the 20th century, what was really the 20th century. Yes, we have the numbers that the 20th century started in 1900, 1901. But the reality is, is that the 20th century for the United States of America really didn't start until the Great Depression. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Because it was during the Great Depression, during all of that suffering, that we were willing to let a tyrant try new things. They weren't new at all. They were as old as trying to take the fruit from the garden. It was as old as time. In the 1930s, the President of the United States ceased being a servant of the people. He was no longer a servant of the American people. He was no longer a servant of the many states. He was now the President, the guy. And the White House became a throne room for the new king. No longer a servant of the people. but a commandant. And that would be the permanent change. Hoover first thought about it, but it was Roosevelt who would bring it to pass. Calvin Coolidge was the last one who thought of himself as a servant of the American people. Beholden to the Constitution, the contract made with the United States. And it would be from Franklin Roosevelt on that the president would become more and more a dictator. Now, unbeknownst to him, eventually the president would become a figurehead. But it was specifically that the president would become a figurehead from the institutions that would be, that would be begun by Roosevelt. It would be under Roosevelt that the FBI would really start to be a thing. Like they were a thing in the 20s during Prohibition, make no mistake about it, but they would really be a thing under Roosevelt. And unbeknownst to him and the following president and the presidents who would follow after him, the FBI would give birth to these new agencies, and they all seemed reasonable at the time, didn't they? 
Until finally, in the year 2000, nearing the end of the 20th century, the FBI would get its greatest desire. It would no longer be the only thing in competition with the rest of the intelligence state. It would finally be recognized as a leading member of the intelligence state. And the intelligence state, principally, the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA. A wicked triumvirate. An unholy trinity under whom would be another <clears throat> 14 intelligence agencies. And all under the auspices of the Department of Homeland Security, to be sure, but it would be in 2000, it would be in the aftermath of 2001 with the signing of the Patriot Act that the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA would, be, be, would become the top of the, holy, of the unholy trinity of the intelligence state. And here we are, 22 years after the begin supposed beginning of the 22nd, uh, 21st century, and now America is about to collapse. Because these cancers have been permitted for the last century. And they were permitted because we believed that the founders of this nation were doing something new. All they did was they made a copy of the original plan. They made a copy of Europe. And the copy is never quite as clear as the original. The original was Christendom. The original was Christendom. Under Christendom, you had the King of Leon. You had the King of Castile. You had the king of the two Sicilies. You had the doge of Florence, the doge of Venice, the doge of Milan. You had the king of Bavaria. You had the king of Prussia. And even under the kings of Bavaria and Prussia, you had <clears throat> archduke, you had dukes and archdukes and margraves. You had barons, you had, but it was all the way down to the local level. And some barons were good, and some were not so good. Some kings were good, and some were not so good. But even with that, I mean, and even, you had some emperors that were good, and some were not so good. But what you did not have was what happened in 1914. What you did not have, for a thousand years, you did not have wars like the Great War. Yes, you had the Hundred Years' War and the Thirty Years' War. Oh, they were at war for a hundred years. Yeah, ish. They were in conflict for a hundred years. But no, no nation would be able to sustain 100 years of constant battle. The 100 years war were skirmishes, were battles. 
It was political intrigue. It was a little push here, a little push there. What it was not was 100 years of trench warfare. That would only show up when Christendom had pretty much completely lost its identity. And there was a resurgence of the surgence of the identity because many people saw what was happening, even among the royal class, and realized, no, 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 no. We have to switch this out. We can't keep doing this. Even Adolf Hitler knew that you couldn't keep doing it. He would do it anyway, because sin does make you stupid. But even he understood that you couldn't do it forever. He simply, <laughs> he simply wanted peace through genocide. But he simply wanted peace. He wanted German. He wanted <clears throat> an Olympic idea of Germanic great greatness which is probably his biggest foible because the Olympi because the Olympians were great gods they were demons all of the gods of the gentiles are demons and so he had a demonic idea of what german greatness would be lost completely lost in the sauce burning in hell for everything that he did for everything that he caused not to be sympathized with in the same way in the same way that any reprobate sinner should not be sympathized with and i say sympathized in the more in the manner that you would enable a drug dealer or a drug addict your actual sympathy is to say this far and no further you're going to change your ways or you're getting the hell out That's charity, not sympathy. Charity is, get, is actually doing something that's for the benefit of the other, rather than enabling them to feel good about themselves and their own continued degenerate behavior. So make no mistake, there is no sympathy for Hitler, because he was just as lost as any other degenerate. How do I know? The Night of Long Knives... Kristallnacht would not have happened if it wasn't for the pushback from the German army. Because Hitler's right-hand man was Ernst Rohn. A flagrant, banal, flamboyant, homosexual who would parade around his degeneracy like a banner and the German army was not having it and that is what started the Night of Long Knives the end of the SA and the replacement of the SA with the SS Hitler got rid of homosexuality in Germany as a concession. It wasn't part of his crusade. 
So the founders thought they were doing something new. And of course they would. They came from Britain. Who had already severed themselves from the truth. Who had spent, by that point, 150 years persecuting Catholics. And it's funny because the King of England would finally get over himself on that and be like, okay, you know what, we're going to allow Quebec into the British, into the British Empire. And the founders got so angry, they wrote the Declaration of Independence. The war for American independence was not started on taxes. Ta- it was, you're talking about a mere two and a half percent. Two and a half percent. Dear family, if you're looking around at American tax rates today, we supposedly started a war for two and a half percent, and yet we're taxed today at almost 40% across the country. 20% for many, but 40%, but 40% for a lot larger number. 40%. If you're in New York or California, it's 60%. So we're meant to believe that we fought a war over, over, it was taxation without representation. It was two and a half cents on the dollar. And it was a sales tax, not an income tax. Our income tax rate standard is at 23%, 10 times the sales tax imposed by the King of England. So if you honestly believe that we fought a war over taxation, you are befuddled. It is much easier to believe that we fought a war for independence because the Anglican, the Episcopalian, the Anglican states could not deign to break bread with Catholics. Much easier to believe. And in their fury, they took time out to make sure that they put together a system that looked just like the Holy Roman Empire. That looked just like the British Parliament. In fact, if you took the British Parliament and divided it by the Holy Roman Empire, hey, look at that. Weird. In fact, if you integrated the Italian republics, Venice, Florence, Milan, etc., and their governmental system into it, and you took that hodgepodge, seeming hodgepodge, because you're talking about drastically different cultures, and then you pattern it off of the Roman Republic, and do, and you, but you basically, you take all of these things that have gone before, and you put them together, and you're like, okay, this is going to be the way it goes, and we're going to need a court system, and since the court system's not going to answer to the king... We'll have to make it independent as much as we can. And that system would work until uh, through the through the 18th century. It would work th- mostly through the 19th century, although we would attack it in the 1850s and 60s. Because again, not being Catholic. Well, let's look at what the Catholic world did. So the Catholic world in general, having to answer spiritually 
to the Holy to the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church. The one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, which happens to be seated in Rome. What did Rome do? Rome said, you're not going to have slavery. Slavery is an abomination. Things kept going. They're like, all right, look. Under no circumstances will a Catholic be a slave to another Catholic. That was step one. Step two. If you are a Catholic and you own slaves, you are required by Holy Writ to catechize your slaves. And should they decide to become Catholic, you are to free them. And then came step three. If you have slaves, you are to catechize them. And if you, a Catholic, are to do something degenerate, you know, like commit adultery with your slaves, you must accept them as your true-born heirs. Meaning... They, they stand to inherit your family legacy. Even if they don't necessarily... But you have to treat them like heirs. They're your true-born true children. And as true-born children, you were to baptize them, and you were to raise them in the church, and they are Catholic, and they cannot be slaves themselves. They are now free. So all of those evils of slavery <clears throat> would be eliminated. Not all at once. You're not going to have to shed a whole lot of blood to do this. But they will be eliminated nonetheless. Inevitably. And if you fail to catechize your children that you, that you wrought from your slaves, well, then you're excommunicated. If you keep a slave after they convert to the faith, you're excommunicated. I mean, you could do these things anyway, <clears throat> but you're no longer a Catholic in good standing with the church. works but instead America would like to take all the credit for ending slavery when in reality you only ended slavery here because every kingdom on earth decided that slavery was an abomination the French, the British the British fought a 60 year war to end slavery why did it last 60 years? oh might have had something to do with the fact that the Americans were still importing. Because in Spain, the same thing held true. In New Spain, the same thing held true. Oh, well, but they had eliminated all of the blah, 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 blah. Man, yeah. Really? And that's why if you were to, be bapt if you were to become a baptized Catholic in New Spain in Central and South America, on the west coast of the United... on the, what was or would become the west coast of the United States, if you were to convert to the Catholic faith, 
you would immediately become a, a Spanish citizen. In fact, the same thing was true for Spain or for France. Every French slave, every French, every native, every Native American person who, who converted to the Catholic faith in New France was considered a French citizen. Every native every native person in New Spain who converted to the Catholic faith was considered a Spanish citizen. They all had recourse to the crown. If they were if they were subject to some injustice, they could appeal to the, they could appeal to the local leaders. If the local leaders weren't doing it, they could appeal to the regional leaders. If the regional leaders weren't doing it, they could appeal to the crown. The royal family of Spain extended out to the viceroys in Ecuador, Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Mexico. They were all part of the royal family. They were part of the line of succession. Yes, they weren't directly in the line of succession. But, to use the hypothetical, if Spain were engaged in a war, that had, had that lasted to the 20th century and beyond, if Spain were to engage in a war and someone were to nuke the capital and kill the entire royal family, there's a non-zero chance that the viceroys in the Spanish colonies would become kings. Could become a king. The king. They were in the line of succession. And if the war devastated Spain the way it would have, then one of the Span then one of the Spanish viceroys in the New World would have actually become effectively the King of Castile, the King of Leon, the King of Brazil, the King <clears throat> the King of the Americas, individually, the King of the Two Sicilies. And they would have led the Spanish Empire. And they very likely would have been native. They most certainly would have been mestizo to some degree. So to say that America had created this new great thing is to lie. De facto. In fact. In reality. It was no new great thing. In point of fact, the ego of the American empire far exceeds anything that had ever come before it. They will absolutely look past the fact that all of these tribes, that they're, oh, we should have preserved, blah, 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 if it wasn't for colonialism, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. These tribes, like, I don't know, the Pachaheffer tribe in South America that buries people alive as an offering to the Pachaheffer. To Mother Earth. Neglecting that the Aztecs killed dozens, if not thousands, dozens if not hundreds, hundreds if not thousands, thousands if not dozens of thousands of people. Oh, well, those stories are over are overspoken. Really? Really. Liar. Those stories are not overblown. 
these things happened. Just like the backlash against the movie The Woman King. When you find out the real story of what was going on, you realize, oh, they were a society that was destroying themselves because they were continually fighting with their neighbors and selling each other into slavery. The same slave markets that the British would try to end. Gracious. <sighs> Sin makes you stupid. And I gotta be perfectly honest with you. We look at Benjamin Franklin like he's some great dude. The guy was a degenerate. He's right, he's nearly up there with the Marquis de Sade. He was an absolute abject degenerate. You want to find out the truth about it? It's funny because you can find out the truth about it in, like, the biographies of John Adams. The biography of John Adams is very telling because they talk about because he talks about Franklin's degeneracy openly. Oh, such a great guy. Yeah, whatever. Oh, but he discovered lightning. No. Lightning was already around. Well, he discovered electricity. No. Electricity was already around. He just found a way to do a thing. And it, what became of it? It's not like Benjamin Franklin flew a kite up in the storm, had the lightning hit the kite, conduct down to the key, light up the key, and then he suddenly created light bulbs. Light bulbs would, wouldn't come out for another 100 years after. So what did he really do? He flew a freaking kite. Ooh, so impressive. He flew a kite. Ooh. <clears throat> Gracious. Anyway, let me get back on track. <laughs> <clears throat> The point is, it's possible that we're looking at our time schedule. Our calendar should probably be shifted. Because it doesn't really look like things get rolling until like 30 years into the, each century. Each epic seems to start and stop 20 to 30 years after we flip the number on the calendar. If we were really measuring the calendar, if, if the Gregorian calendar was perfectly right, we would not have marked it from our Lord's birth. We would have marked the calendar from our Lord's resurrection. That seems to be better. And if we mark the calendar from our Lord's resurrection, This is 1989, and over the course of the next 11 years, as we go through this scourging that we're about to go through, as we go through this chastisement that seems to be rolling, spooling up and up and up, when we flip the, flip the number on the calendar to 2029, 
will be actually at the close of the 20th century, the end of the American empire. One century of Americanism that poisoned the earth. And to be sure, I love my nation. I care for my countrymen. I'm not really keen on watching what's about to happen. But the idea that is America is anti-Catholic. And I'm a Catholic. Which means that the idea that, uh, that is America is my enemy. Because my empire answers to the king of kings. Not the king of presidents, not the king of prime ministers, the king of kings. Which means that the appropriate government is a king, is one led by a king. We're gonna have good kings? Yes. We're gonna have bad kings? Yes. I mean, we've got a horribly pernicious pope right now. So the same would be true in the church as it is in the state. Just not simultaneously. The problem that we run into now is that we've got a horrible pope and we've got no good kings. Because we have no kings. I mean, we do. We got like two. But they're not any good. And one of them's an apostate anyway. But out of the ashes of the West of quote unquote Western civilization, there will be a king. There will be a man, a good man, a noble man to rise up. It's not gonna be quick, I don't think. But he will establish Christ's kingdom on this earth because he will be noble because Christ is noble and he will be Catholic because Catholic is what Christ founded. And Our Lady's Immaculate Heart will triumph. But it's after we get the butt whooping that we deserve. Pray, fast, do penance, and be ready to act. Prudence in this day and age is not passing the buck on to somebody else, but it's being ready to act, to take action when the moment comes. Keep an eye out for the man who flies the banner of our Lord. The banner of our Lord. His sacred heart. His cross. His mother's immaculate heart. Keep an eye out for the man who raises that banner. Because <clears throat> I don't think it's the end of the world yet.
I really don't. It might be, because I could be wrong. But what it looks like is it looks like we're going to get the chastisement of humanity's life. And out of those ashes is going to rise a king. That's what it feels like. And I don't mean feels like emotionally. I mean feels... It's what I sense. It's what I sense is actually happening. So yeah. Pray for the church. Pray for your nation. Fast and do penance. It's the only way we're going to make it through. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.